SMQBs. This is episode 53. We are all over each other talking about the Juwan Howard incident. Uh, we're talking about this weird NFL Combine story. Get an update on the MLB lockout. Cover the NBA All-Star Game weekend. English Premier League update. Punchable face of the week. Ted Lasso and a very nice pour one out for Charlie Taylor that you won't want to miss. There is lots to cover. Let's get to it. Leave us a review. Thanks for listening. QBs, this is episode 53. Okay, in 14 seasons, fellas, he had 218 hits, 1,169 at bats with a career average of 186. Ouch. Below 96 the runs, 26 doubles, 7 triples, 29 home runs, 113 RBIs, and 60 walks. He was even used as a pinch hitter in a World Series one time with those numbers. But let's talk about what he's really known for, and that is his 209 and 166 win-loss record, 2.95 ERA, 2,486 strikeouts, pitched his entire career for the, if this doesn't give it away, I don't know what will, the Dodgers, nine-time All-Star, three-time World Series I I want to I'm I thought Hershiser was 55. That may be right. Cy so Young it's, in it's 1962. Not, oh, 1962. Oh, a little oh, before oh, Hershiser. Oh, 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 um, shoot. Wins uh, leader in 62. And let me tell you Sandy this. Kovacs. No. 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 Don't, is it, don't crowd the plate. When to do hit not her. crowd the plate. Oh god, what is his is name? Is it uh Drysdale? Don yes. Drysdale. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I, yeah. I thought I was gonna have to throw you up for a loop with the hits. Uh, on this one, but yeah. I, yeah, I didn't need to, didn't need any distractions there. Pretty impressive wow. numbers. I was hoping that you'd go with uh, Toby's man from Lovetron. Oh, oh, uh, but he was 50. No, Daryl Dawkins. Dawkins. Yeah. I don't think he was Chocolate 53. Thunder Chocolate was 53. Thunder? Yes. Was he 54? Yeah. I thought you were going to go with Herbie, the love bug. <laughs> no. <laughs> Drysdale got, got in on his uh, on the tenth ballot with seventy eight point four percent of the vote. By the way, a backup, uh, another possibility. Rooster was your guy, uh, Harry yeah, Carson. Yeah, I was going to say, wasn't one of the Giants linebackers. Yeah, he was the yeah. man. He's awesome. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, all right. So here we are, episode fifty three. We're down a guy who's down a molar. Uh, <laughs> and so there's just four of us today. A milk molar. Uh, but I have a feeling there's going to be enough chatter. Uh, to fill the airspace house, what are we leading with? Well, we're leading with what will likely be we're a brawl because we're we've leading had a, with our right. We've <laughs> had a preview of this by text, and I do not think this is going to end well. But apparently, there are actually two sides to this Jawan Howard argument, and everybody knows what happened in the Michigan Wisconsin game that uh, Michigan playing at Wisconsin was. Uh, getting hammered by Wisconsin. The game was out of reach. 
Wisconsin was up by 19 points in the last minute and Wisconsin had its reserves in. And despite the fact that Wisconsin had its reserves in, Michigan coach Jawan Howard started pressing uh, up down 19 points. And these kids couldn't figure out how to get it up across the 10 second line. So Greg Gard, the Wisconsin coach, called a timeout. And I guess the combination of those two things were the catalyst for the after game. When the game was over and it was time to shake hands, the team started approaching each other. There is now tape which you can find anywhere. And the first words out of Juwan Howard was, I'll remember that. That's what he said to guard. And at that point, guard grabbed his arm, looked up at him. And I think you can pretty well establish from looking at it. He wanted to explain himself because Howard was the one who said, I'll remember that. So guard stopped them to provide context to what had happened. And after that happened, Jawan said, don't fucking touch me. And then it got out of control. They got separated. And then Jawan reached across and slapped open-handed assistant coach Joe Krabenhaft, who apparently said uh, tongue-in-cheek at some point during all this, hey, guys, let's all just take a timeout, which further (laughs) – I hadn't heard that. Yes. (laughs) Which further enraged Jawan Howard, which led to the slap. Um, So just just to be clear, just to be clear, though, we are not at the punchable face of the week episode. This is a story about a punch to a face. Yes, yes someone already this got could, face. This could easily be the punchable face. <laughs> I, I, it's I just an episode say, about a punchable face. Yeah. I'm trying to stay somewhat objective to this, but I, I'll just... Not doing a good job. For, for now, I'll just say this is a coach of student athletes at one of the biggest programs in the country. His alma mater, for God's sake. His alma mater. This led to other student athletes that he's supposed to be the role model for also throwing punches. Three of those uh, kids threw punches. I suspect they'll be suspended or some kind of discipline. Afterwards, there was press conferences for both Juwan Howard and Greg Gard. Juwan Howard was unapologetic. He gave context as to why he did what he did, but he did not apologize for having slapped an opposing team's coach. It's crazy. It's outrageous. People are talking about suspensions, firings, all that other stuff. I'm not going to get into that police. I just think Jawan Howard was wrong. It was irresponsible. It was unprofessional. It's not what a coach should do. It's not what a coach should do of student athletes. And if we could start off the show with a punchable face, I'd punch him back. But for now, I'm going to pause because I think some others may have a different view. I'm not sure I have a completely different view. I also agree that he should be accountable for his actions. It's not excusable. And, you know, he's going to face a hefty suspension, I would imagine. But I think my point is, you know, I listened to what guard said and come on, you know, I called a timeout with four seconds because the ref said I would have the full 10 seconds to get the ball across the court and my reserves were under pressure and I didn't want to, you know, have them suffer the humiliation of not getting the ball across the court. I mean, that's, that's bullshit, whatever, make that up as you go along. But I think he was upset that Howard was pressing and probably Howard shouldn't have been pressing. Uh, you know, Howard's a hothead coach. We, we, we already know that, but when I said that the guy threw lit the match and threw it on a fire, I mean it. When guard is going through the handshake line, 
and Howard is approaching him, and Howard says, you know, I'll remember that. Guard should have just walked away and let it go, but no, what does he do? You can see in the picture in the background, he grabs him by the arm and physically gets in his grill. Why should he have let him walk by? Why? I mean, he, you know, let's let's give this guy, let's give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And he legit doesn't think he did anything wrong, doesn't think he was doing anything more than coaching his reserves and call the timeout to help, you know, to help them break the press. That's his point of view. And all of a sudden he gets blasted by this guy who says, I won't forget this. And his reaction is, wait a minute, what, what did I do? Why, why should he have to just bypass him? Yeah, I was with you. I I was with you last night, Pope. I really was. I don't think it was as innocent as you make it sound that, that he just wanted to clarify. And I mean, he, he stopped him and he stopped him in his tracks. He held onto his arm and he got in his grill. I mean, Juwan Howard, we, well, I will freely admit, I mean, he's done things in the past that you know he's a hothead. There's no reason. If Guard wanted to explain what happened, he could have done that in the postgame conference. He should have, under the circumstances, you know, it's like reasonable coach circumstances. He should have known better. And, and what he did was he lit the match that caused the fire that was out of control. Yeah. I, I thought that last night, but now I disagree, having reviewed the whole thing again and gotten some more facts. Look, if Juwan Howard is going to coach like that with 15 seconds left in a game where he's losing 76 to 57, where his only purpose was to humiliate not just the reserves. These are the guys who rarely ever get into a game that got thrown in at garbage time. And all he was doing was trying to humiliate them because he was pissed that they got clobbered by Wisconsin. And so if he's going to coach like that until the end, he doesn't get to be a snowflake and cry when guard coaches to protect his guys at the end of the bench and save them from humiliation by calling a timeout. And then when coming through the line, um, you know, sure, guard probably shouldn't have grabbed him. But, geez, you know what? If if one of us had an issue with the other and we put our hands on the other guy's shoulder or elbow, the, the reaction isn't get your fucking hands off of me and start swinging at people. I mean, he's a grown man. Come on, grow up. Look, he, he needs Look, if you he if needs you, some he needs some anger management. If, if, if he's going to keep that job, if you grab me in the line, I would punch milk for sure. <laughs> that's funny i don't know i mean i, 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 mean, I, I that's mean, funny. i'm not sure that howard though is coaching to humiliate anyone though i mean i think he I was think coaching of, out of anger yeah i am he was, he was, he was, that's right he was coaching emotionally and he needs to grow up he's a damn giant baby uh, I so so inter- the internet has brought receipts to joan howard today because it turns out that this season alone when Michigan was up 78 to 62 versus Indiana with 55 seconds to go. What did Juwan Howard do? Called a timeout and up 82 to 56 against Purdue. 82 to 56 against one of the best teams in the country with 145 to go. What did Juwan do? Called a timeout. This guy is a hypocrite. He's a loser. He's a hothead. Wait, wait how much time left in the game? So did he call timeout? Less than 10 seconds? It, it, no, under, the, the game's the over. Games were away. Game's over. What's no the point of call a timeout? Well, did, he the call clock, timeout? Right? did he call a timeout to put his reserves in? Do we know the no. context? No. In fact, in the in in the one of the games, then he, how about this? 
apparently last week or the week or two ago, down 64 to 54. Juwan got a technical and then with 35 seconds to go, called a timeout just to extend the game to stick it to Ohio State University. He is not well. He's not well. He's the, the match is lit in his own head. <laughs> well, I, 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 you know, House, you said something, though. I, I, I do wonder. I mean, you know, Juwan started his professional career in Washington. And I actually, this is, I mean, decades ago now, but, but I actually had a really nice interaction with him uh, the summer before he, he started playing professionally in, in Washington. This is like, I mean, is, is the stress of coaching at his alma mater just beating him down? I don't remember him as a hothead. I don't remember him as a hothead player when he, he played damn near 20 years in the NBA. I think, you know, right. really long NBA career and was, a, and was a very good player. I mean, I don't think he'll, he'll be a hall of famer, but he certainly had a very good long career. And I never remember him being, you know, a, a dirty player, uh, an outlandish, you know, be, be you know, player. Um, I just don't remember this sort of behavior from him is, you know, do you think he's, He's just got too much pressure on him. I would love to know what Jalen thinks about this. Yeah. You know I, mean? I really would. I'd love to hear or, what he thinks or about C-Web. this. Or yeah. C-Web. I agree. It's it's unusual for Jawan Howard. I think it's unusual, frankly, for any coach. It's not like we hear one of these stories once a year. This is once a Woody Hayes. I mean, this just doesn't happen. And, uh, uh, it used to happen with uh, at Indiana. Well, he would throw chairs. Bobby the, Knight, like and on he the hit floor. One, he hit one of he his hit kids. players. Okay, but yeah. that's been and thirty years since Bobby Knight. People turn so a right. blind eye to that. You're right. It doesn't happen very often, and it shouldn't happen in any program, and certainly a Big Ten program like this. He's got, I would say, most of what's coming to him. I don't think he should be fired unless they want to fire him for other reasons. But maybe he can't handle the heat. Anyway. But I think there's there's other issues too. Of course, is you know how does this where's security after a game? I mean, they're, they're fortunate that uh, fans didn't end up on the on the court. I mean, mm-hmm. this brawl got really ugly after after Howard threw that. They slap were right there. He had to should, reach over policemen to he had to reach over policemen to do the slap. Yeah, there were police things, on the floor. Things got pretty escalated after mm-hmm. after he did that. I mean, there was a lot of of, you know, haymakers thrown after that. It took a while to break it up. Um, well, but it, I mean, wait a minute, Pope, what was the fun? What yeah, was let's the funniest put it in context here, right? Yeah. Because Wisconsin, all they wanted to do was play the fucking varsity song. <laughs> we're singing, we're singing varsity. <laughs> we're singing varsity. That was funny. Well, they just won a big game. They wanted to go down to their student section and, and enjoy it for a minute. And, and, you know, I don't know. I, it's, it's, Read it's the all the around. Bruh. I think, I think, I think though that the most they can suspend him is two games um, under, under the uh, big 10 rules, unless the school is to get involved and issue their own suspension. But I believe that the, that under the big 10 rules, that the most he can be is suspended for two games. What about the NCAA? Do they not have any jurisdiction on it? The NCAA only ruins the lives of athletes, not coaches. <laughs> always, the, always remember that. By the way, I think this is right, Pope. You'll, you'll know, I think. But I feel like they're kind of on the bubble. Like this does not help them and their case to be either in this situation or be without their coach for a couple games. No, they're a hundred percent on the bubble. Right now, they're on the wrong side of the bubble. Yeah, that was a yeah. big loss for them. Yeah, 
they have some so, big quad one wins like Purdue, like you were talking about. Uh, but it, actually, indirectly, it hurts North Carolina because one of their quad one wins was over Michigan. That now Michigan is looking like they might not make the tournament. That's going to hurt North Carolina's strength of schedule. Let me ask a question: Should should guard be suspended? No, no. Why not? What did he do? I don't know. I'd give him. He didn't hit anyone. So the hit, the swing is the, is the, is the, the, the suspending activity. I think yeah. So. I mean, you know, I said last night, cause we were assigning percentages cause as lawyers, that's what we like to do. <laughs> I, I said, I thought it was 60 one 40 guard. And because that's guard was the one that instigated it. I'll, st- I'll stick by that, but I, I don't think he gets a suspension. I'm 95, five. I know you are. <laughs> But fans, please reach out to us on our TikTok and our Twitter and our Facebook to let us know your feelings on it. All right. All right. Well, enough on uh, on uh, faces getting punched, as we'll circle back to the punchable face later. Um, let's talk a little uh, NFL combine action. There's some weird, weird shit happening. Uh, Rooster, get us up to speed on this one. Well, you know, all day yesterday and into today, we were hearing that the uh, agents were colluding to threaten to boycott the the combine in Indianapolis uh, as a protest for the COVID protocols, the bubble restrictions in Indianapolis, which would have restricted the players um, to certain areas. They wouldn't have been able to just go wherever they wanted or leave at night. And I guess more importantly to them, it would have limited their access to their full teams of trainers and coaches and medical personnel that some of these, you know, first round prospects carry around in tow with them. Um, I think there was a bunch of pushback on that because, you know, these agents are fiduciaries. They're supposed to represent all of their clients. And I don't know how they could be representing the, the kids who are projected to be higher later round draft picks with that kind of a move. Because those kids need to be seen at the combine in order to move up or even just get drafted. So today, all suddenly, the agents are not threatening the boycott. And why do we know that? Because Adam Schefter tells us so. So it must be true. <laughs> so, so, it is so, we know, so we know nothing right now. Instead, they're saying they're considering advising the players to hold off on workouts until pro day but we'll still encourage participation in the medical exams, the interviews and the non-physical testing. Um, So who knows what's going on, but I'll tell you what, if what they were contemplating yesterday happened, the year DK Metcalf came out, he wouldn't have gone as high as he did. Um, Remember that guy, Shaq Griffin, who was drafted by Seattle with one arm and he was bench pressing with the prosthetic. Well, he ran like a four three forty. He wouldn't have gotten drafted without that combine where he got drafted. I mean, there are a lot of players throughout history. Dwight Freeney, the pass rush specialist for the Colts. People were shocked at how strong that guy was because he's tall, thin, and fast. And then Matt Jones, right? Would he have gone where he went without his combine performance? I don't think so. So you can't take that away from some of these non-blue chip uh, college kids. You just can't do it. And I don't know how you could be an agent and represent a spectrum of players and, and take that position. Well, as, as I understand this, this all comes around to the fact that the, the NFL wanted to limit 
the number of, of trainers, coaches, et cetera, that these guys could bring with them to the combine, right? That's part right. Of, of the story. Um, and what I sort of thought was remarkable was the uh, level of, and the, and just the, the sheer number of, of coaches and nutritionists and trainers that these guys who are, you know, college athletes coming out before they start playing pro that they're relying on day in and day out. I mean, look, I hear what you're saying, but how many coaches do you really need to come to bring with you so that you can bench press 225 and, and right. run a 40? Well, I, I don't think you and I disagree at all on this. I mean, if I'm a, if I'm going to spend all this money on a, on a draft pick, I might want to see how he responds without without the whole support system in place. Right. Yeah. It's it's really strange. I mean, I, I thought that was the strange part of this. Was like, wait a minute, you're you're 21 years old. You're you know you take three months you know, just to work out and get ready to jump and run and, and bench press. And you got to have an entourage of five guys come with you. Otherwise you're not showing up. What? What? Just go fucking lift some weight, dude. Yeah. Right. So it seems kind of strange. Hope, how many, uh, how many, how many coaches do you take with you when you go to go to the gym? <laughs> uh, I got a trainer, I got a spotter and I got a guy for the towel. <laughs> You need a water boy too. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else on that on that little weird little story? Nope. Oh, nothing. Tur- nothing. Turned into a nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see. We'll keep an eye on it. See if Schefter gets it right. That might be the more the most interesting part of the story. <laughs> see if Schefter knows what he's talking about. Can can the SMQBs take credit for knocking that one out? We last night we said we're going to talk about it, and they got they took care of it. They got a lot of takedowns. They got a lot of takedowns. We're so powerful now. We don't even need the pod to do it. We just text between the five of us. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) All right. Um, Okay. Well, let's uh, talk about takedowns. Let's, let's talk about a lockout baseball. We are on to the 82nd day of the lockout. Wow. Um, I don't know if this is good news or not at this point, but they're apparently going to resume negotiations this week uh, in Jupiter, Florida. It looks like, I just saw a picture on Twitter that Max Scherzer is is present, so uh, he's probably just going to start ripping people's heads off if he can't get this worked out. So maybe this this will get done with with the Mad with Mad Max in the room. Um, but what they're saying at this point is, you know, we are a week away from a point. February twenty eighth seems to be the cutoff point where if there's no deal in place, we will lose opening day this season. It will get pushed back, and and that's you know two twenty eight is going to be here before we before we know it. And then uh, at this point, there's no spring training games until March fifth. Um, the union, I guess, the issues, some of the issues here, it, it's really twofold. I mean, the, the union wants to get more money in the hands of younger players uh, sooner, right? So the way right. baseball is kind of strange right now, like you sort of get a big contract that you get paid for past performance almost like you're when you get these huge contracts in baseball. Now it's almost like you've, you're, you're, you're maybe getting two years of prime and then everything else on the back end is you're going to arguably statistically be past your prime. And so you're getting paid for what you've done before because of the service time rules and, and the way the owners can uh, uh, manipulate 
when a guy comes up to the majors, you know, you have guys who, who will sit in the minors and for, you know, like they should be on the starting on, on the opening day roster, no question about it. And they keep them in the minors for 45 days longer. So they get an extra year of, of, uh, of time with them and and then they can go to arbitration. So that's one of, that's what the players are really fighting over. I think the owner's big thing is they want a 14 team postseason. Uh, and then of course the, the big thing that they're all fighting over is the, um, uh, the competitive balance tax. That's what's called what basically is the salary cap is that, you know, X dollars will be spent on salary every year. And if you go over it, you get taxed <laughs> and the players obviously want that, that to be higher and want less taxes so that owners will pay players more. Uh, the owners want to keep that cap in place so they don't have to split with any more of their money than they have to. Um, listen, maybe them fighting and not agreeing on things is the best thing possible for baseball, because the one thing they seem to have agreed on at this point is the universal DH, which is a goddamn travesty. And uh, uh. maybe we ought to, maybe we want to ought to want to, have them where they don't agree on anything at this point, but it, it just, it seems like a little bit of a mess. How, how dumb are these guys? I mean, so, I, I just feel so like dumb. on both sides, they have to understand, they have to look in the stands, see diminished people in the stands. They have to look at the television ratings, see ratings are down. Can't both sides figure out the last thing this game needs to become is out of sight, out of mind. Cause it yeah. will be, it will be out of sight, out of mind for everybody, but the diehards. I'm it's wearing not, my. They I'm wearing get, a, They will get punished at the gate. Yeah, I'm wearing a 2019 spring training hat, and I think that's the last normal spring training we had because 2020 was cut short was was cut off in the middle because of COVID. I don't think last year they had a wide open where fans could go to games. No. Certainly not full capacity in stands. No, um, last March. Um, so, you know, 2019 is the last regular spring training, the last regular opening day, uh, I think we've had, and now they're going to, they're going into a third year, arguably with, with, you know, drama outside of just baseball. Um, these guys got to get it together. Yeah. I mean, Mike Barnacle talked about it on morning Joe this morning. He said, you know, that baseball is just teetering on the edge of the abyss, if they don't get their act together, they're they're going to lose, you know, not only a generation of fans now, but but you know, where are they going to go in the future? Like Willie Geist was saying, his kids don't watch baseball. It's too long, you know. They're distracted. They start watching videos or playing games. Uh, the baseball's got a problem, and they're just compounding it by by the digging in uh unnecessarily when they need to be they need to be in Florida and Arizona now. They need to be focusing on making the game faster and more exciting for the viewers and not well, all this you, other stuff. How do you do that? Well I, I like the universal DH. I think that's more exciting for kids these days. I think you put a clock on the pitcher and you and you limit the amount of times people can step out of the batter's box. Uh, or, or, you know, the game just needs to be sped up. It really does. I read one thing that indicated that, that all of the, the delays, the games getting longer are actually related to the number of foul balls. And, and if that's the case, I don't know how you fix that. 
right? I mean, how do you, how do you change? Well, you do like the kids rule. Like when we were growing up, like a certain number of foul balls is a strike. You're out. Oof. I don't know, but is there anything better than a, than a 15 pitch at bat where, where guys fouling them off, fouling them off, fouling them off, and then gets a hit? There's a Probably lot, a lot. Yeah. Better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, there, there, there. there's so I could, many rules changes. Based I could on check all the TikTok with the cat videos during that period of time. I would rather have them see see them put two outfielders in the outfield than the four or five they're putting on now with defensive shifts. I mean, they're just there's so many things that are happening in baseball that are taking away from run scoring that are making the game longer. Uh, it's just it's it really is sliding into an abyss. And again. I, I think maybe, maybe it's uh, regional and geographical, but I'll, at least up in my area, the number of kids that are switching over to things like lacrosse as opposed to baseball is off the charts. So, so let me, I mean, look, I, I you know, I think the sh- I hate the shift. I, I don't disagree with that, but, but I, I mean, I think the bigger issue, I mean, we can blame baseball we want, but some of this is, is the attention span of this country. Right. I mean, everybody's saying like, you don't want to watch a battle between a pitcher and a hitter where a hitter sits there and fouls off, you know, great pitch after great pitch after great pitch and earns a hit by doing it. That's very telling of what's happening in America at this point, right? We don't have the attention span for anything. I mean, Pope said, I'd rather look at cat videos on TikTok than watch that. That's, I'm not saying I, mean, I would. I'm saying, but people are like that. They're no, you're, you're right. You're right. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, how much do we blame baseball? I mean, there are definitely changes that could be made. But how well, much do you blame baseball versus maybe it's just the game's just been passed by? But there, there, you That's know, possible. people like people like the four of us are going to watch it regardless of the changes. I mean, they could leave it the way it's always been, and I'll still watch it. But how about if you were a Pittsburgh Pirates fan right now? Right. I mean, th- that was it. That was a uh, you know a traditional big powerhouse team. Fans have been loyal to them for decades and decades and decades, and they suck year after year after year now. Baseball needs to fix that. The Pirates need to be good every now and then. The Royals need to be good every now and then. You know, we can't just keep having the same few teams that are good. That's why we need a we need a um, a salary floor, right? You gotta yeah. you gotta force these owners. Hey, if you want to have a team, then you're gonna have to spend money on salary every year. Right. It's not going to be just, you know, getting trading players like, you know, trading players away at the trade deadline every year so that you can cut salary or, or get get a, a new young prospect so you don't have to pay someone. Like the Rays. Term. The Rays, though, have been the good. The Rays figure it out, to, though. Yeah, they the Rays have been good. good. That's what they do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, uh, it's, you know, it's disappointing. Um, it's you know, to me, baseball's the most important sport in the country, but I, I think, yeah. uh, oh, I, I, but I, 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 I'm readily admitting that, that maybe there's, I think there are things beyond the game that are happening that are, that are affecting its popularity, not just that they've screwed it up. Although I do think they continue to, to screw things up. Themselves. 100% Bison, but what an un- unforced error this is. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, let's go from the league that shit in the bed the worst to one that sort of uh, continues to to just have a have a really interesting, I think, niche and in, in place and culture uh, in this country, and that's the uh, NBA. Rooster, talk to us about All Star Weekend. Yeah, you know, I'm going to pick up where House uh, left off 
last year at this time saying that, you know, his kids loved NBA all-star weekend and a lot of old timers, you hear a lot of old timers saying, man, I wish, I wish my kids could see the old NBA all-star weekend from the seventies and eighties. Well, you know what time times change. They NBA changes with the times. And I thought it was hugely entertaining. I really did. I mean, just from the get go with like the rising stars game, they had Rick. First of all, I love seeing the old timers, um, mix it up with the young kids. It just, it just shows you it's a healthy sport. The kid, the young guys are thrilled to be playing for Rick Barry and, uh, and the glove Gary Payton and Rick Barry was moved by the effort these guys gave him as coach. It was just a beautiful thing to watch. He was so proud of these young guys. Um, you know, the one drawback, I guess, was Saturday, the supposedly the worst dunk contest ever. It was. But, but uh, apparently the first round, they made 28% of the, their attempted dunks. But thank God for Obi saving oh, the God. whole contest with oh, his God. beautiful dunks. Oh, God. Obi Toppin's dunks were a thing to behold. Oh, only Jesus. only out to be outdone by Ja Morant in the real game. My God, that guy can sky. I mean, John Morant was just a thing of beauty to behold in that game. He had some dunks that were his head was above the rim when he caught the ball. And then, and then he did a 180 and dunked it backwards. I mean, just amazing. Um, The pregame was cool. I, I was really moved by seeing Kareem finally let a little personality show through. You remember when he was introduced and he did that little fake sky hook and you know, following seventy fifth anniversary. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was yeah. nice. That that was really nice. I I enjoyed seeing that. I was touched by how Shaq kind of deferred to Kareem when they sat down. It was it was a cool thing to see. And then of course, uh, Ja and Seth Curry made the whole game worth watching. Steph, Steph Curry, yeah, Steph Steph, Steph yeah. Curry. Sorry, I mean, Ja's uh, Ja's just a physical, you know, god compared to most human beings. And and uh, Steph Steph's fifty points and record-setting threes. I mean, that we're watching the best shooter in the history of the game. True. I mean, what did you guys think of it? Did you were you entertained or were you turned off by the lack of defense and all the other complaints you hear? And they, and they weren't exactly you know right with his toe on the three-point line either. I mean, he was stopping oh. and the yeah. logo and just throwing it up, turning around and walking away, knowing it was going to swish. That was my favorite part of of Steph, that there are like three or four photos that are emerging from this of him just facing the crowd with the ball still in the air and it goes through. Um, At first, when I had it on the game itself, because I agree with, with the exception of the dunk contest, it was awesome. I think they've gotten it right with this rising stars contest of having first years versus second years really smart. Uh, I think it was kind of enjoyable to, to see Cat Carl Anthony Towns win the three Take point the competition. Three. Yeah. To have yeah. a big yeah. man do that. Um, at first, when I turned around, I was like, okay, here we go. No defense. But then I realized what we're watching is when these guys are unleashed, them doing the very best they can be. I mean, it's like watching a little bit of an exhibition to say, what can they really do uh, on the playground? Uh, it, it was awesome. Uh, I thought that there were players in that game 
including Steph and including Embiid, including Giannis, that actually wanted that MVP. The fact that they've attached Kobe's name to the MVP trophy, I think these guys want very, very much now. It is very much a prized possession for these guys to get. And this whole new rule that despite no defense for three quarters that you have to get exactly 24 points beyond what you scored in the third quarter to match Kobe's number actually does make them play defense. They were playing hard defense. They were yeah. fouling him yeah. at the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it was really fun. And the, 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 the fadeaway Jordan-esque uh, oh. shot that LeBron made to hit 163 to score. I know he salvaged the game for himself. I know he said it was like Jordan, but that was like Dirk. It was that one leg fade backwards. Jordan didn't have that shot. Yeah, but he started out with his back to the defender and gave him the butt move like Jordan did and then faded away. If he hadn't hit that shot, I think this game would be remembered for LeBron looked a little out of place out there. He still can pull out greatness in bits and pieces, but he he couldn't handle the up the, uh, the pace of that game. I'll tell you, it makes you think, though, when you when you say how nobody ever plays defense in the NBA, apparently they do play defense in the NBA because you you see for three quarters what it looks like when they don't play defense in the NBA, what a game could look like. And and apparently they are playing it at least at least some effort. Well, you know, even Rudy Gobert apparently has some oh when you let him let him go undefended in an all star game. But this that guy, Jared Allen, was to me an eye opener. He. He's a he's a really solid defensive player who made the game based just on defense because he Cleveland's doesn't have a lot of offense. Cleveland's an yeah. up and coming team for sure. Yeah, they won the skills contest. I think the NBA is in good hands, and I think it will actually get an even better hands when LeBron is finally done. Because I think what you're seeing now, you know, it started happening after Michael, but for sure he passed the torch to LeBron. But you're seeing all these young guns, these stars. They collectively, when they're on the floor, it's incredible to watch. Yeah, I agree. John Morant, I think, is the most exciting player that they've got in the NBA right now. Well, but didn't you guys enjoy watching some of these old old dudes too, including AI? Oh yeah, he had a, he had a lot of interesting things to say uh, on the, when he was interviewed. He's, yeah, he's no, very respectful of the game. But he oh, always sure. has been. He yeah. always has been. Go watch yeah. his Hall of Fame induction speech. Right. It's one right. of the uh, right. it's one of the most right. tear jerking Hall of Fame speeches of all and time. Just you watching mean, Oscar like Robertson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I watch an Oscar Robertson and Jerry West sit kind of side by side like old buddies. To me, was was a nice thing to see too. So it was a very so, nostalgic weekend. Seeing even seeing LeBron and and Michael hug it out it was very nostalgic. So you've got you, you you know you've got all these young guys out there and and you know LeBron right or wrong, he, he saw everything as a business opportunity, right? I mean, when he, he had the power to build these super teams, you know, there was a lot in the press last week when Harden was traded, that is this the end of the super team? Is there a guy coming up now who's going to be that visionary, who's going to really empower the players? I mean, the LeBron era, love him or hate him, we, that's a different conversation here, and, and we'd have to have milk involved in that, but but LeBron really did a lot of player empowerment. Um, is there a guy that you saw on the floor in the all-star game, um, you know, who's going to sort of step in LeBron's shoes and, and be the leader of the players uh, to keep them with the power? A great question. Yeah. I don't see anyone. Yeah. Nobody has the, uh, the 
charisma and just the magnetic personality of LeBron right now. Maybe Giannis. Be, Giannis be doesn't seem to want far, it, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, you don't stay in Milwaukee if you want to be uh, if you want to be a, a uh, tycoon. I think I think it's to be determined. I think some of these young guys that are only two, three, four years out, they're still going to come into their own. And I, that type of leadership, that mantle will be passed. But um, yeah, those are those are big shoes to fill in that way, for sure. That's a good question. I mean, you know, think about it. In 1997, isn't that when they had the uh, the 50th anniversary team? Yeah. Uh, you know, you think about that, and and I was telling telling my wife last night, I'm like, I sure hope we make the hundredth because you know we're going to be, I'll be 80. So that that's a big night last night to celebrate that 75th. These are guys that we aren't going to see again. Because uh, you saw all the people who you know were on the 25th anniversary team that, had, that obviously had passed. So the, I mean, the NBA, you're right, House. It's in good hands, and, and I love the continuity and the fellowship among the players. Contrasting that with Major League Baseball, NBA is where the action's at right now. You think about it, you had the Jordan era where Jordan really um, um, created the marketing opportunities for these guys. Really, he was the guy who sort of went out there and and made it so the players could really uh, profit off of their outside of their ability on the court. Then you had Iverson and Iverson was the guy who injected this culture, you know, the baggy shorts, the tattoos, the cornrows. And Iverson was a cultural phenom uh, who, who changed the NBA in that regard. And LeBron came in as the, almost as the wall street uh, NBA player who who's going to eventually probably own a team if he wants to. So it'll be, be interesting to see what the next 25 years. And of magic. The league. Well, magic of course, magic is yeah. magic. Was, was seeing him. Magic was the businessman post NBA career, right? I mean, he, you know, he didn't, he wasn't doing it while he was on the court. He was just, he was a little before Jordan where like, I think magic benefited from Jordan as far as getting endorsement deals and that sort of thing. I mean, he was just stellar. Those guys remember it wasn't that long ago that these guys got paid just to be on the court and they were not entities in and of themselves. Uh, Michael Jordan really did flip the script on that. I think if you look, look historically at it, not to take anything away from the greatness of magic Johnson. Well, well I, Michael Jordan and Spike Lee together, right. Created a, a entire marketing uh, scheme. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting. It goes back to our pod that we did with Jerry Bembry from the undefeated. We were, distinguishing between the GMs and the coaches in the NBA versus what's happening in the NFL. And I think the influence of black coaches, black GMs, uh, it, and, and even like, like you were saying, Bison with Allen Iverson, bringing the hip hop era into basketball, they have made one right decision after another from, you know, all these jerseys that they add every year, you know, the earned Jersey, if you made the playoff and the Christmas Jersey, if you're playing on Christmas day, and yes, some of us are protesting about what's going on with that seven through 10 thing and the play in it's getting more fans involved. It's getting more teams involved. They're just making one, what they do with the draft, what they do with the lottery selection, what they, what they've done uh, is just one great decision after another. If I could, if I could have one ticket uh, right now, this is just me. But if I could have one ticket, uh, if to a regular season game in any sport, 
I think I'd like to sit next to Spike Lee uh, courtside at a Knicks game. It's a good it's ticket. A, basketball's exciting. Good ticket. It's exciting, and it, it only lasts a couple hours, and it's always fast-paced. Something's going on. You know, you're not checking your phone. I mean, it, it, it plays to where the country is now and, and where especially the, the younger generation's headed. Good segue to the anti-American <laughs> sport. <laughs> Let's go from the anti to the anti-American sport then to the beautiful game. Pope, Premier League update. What is going on to the to something that no American kid has the patience to watch, right? The Not true. Game. I don't know yeah, about that. I, I, think, I think it's gaining in popularity. You've seen some big ratings uh, and um, you know TV contracts uh, fighting over the EPL and the other leagues. Uh, well, we haven't talked EPL in a while, and I think last time we talked, it looked like Man City was going to walk away with the championship this year. Not um, so fast. Yeah, not so <laughs> fast. Harry Kane. So Man City is only up six points thanks to Harry Kane's last minute during stoppage header uh, goal to uh, lead Tottenham, my Spurs, over, over Man City uh, and the Roosters team three to two. And that potentially has shook up the whole EPL, uh, the way that season ended. There's about 13 games left. Uh, Man City's got a six point lead, but Liverpool has a game in hand. If they beat Leeds, they'll only be down three. Look on your calendar, April 9th um, in Man City for Liverpool at Man City. That could decide the Mm. EPL. Mm. You know, there's four in the EPL, you got your championship, but then you got your four teams that go to the Champions League. And that's really where there's a lot of the, the fight during the year. I think right now it's pretty clear Man City, Liverpool, and Chelsea, Milk's team, are going to be in the Champions League for next year. But there is a dogfight that's emerging for the fourth and final slot to the Champions League. And House's Man U uh, has 46 points, but they are full games. They play 26 games. Tottenham is seven points back, but they have three games in hand. Because of COVID, a bunch of games were canceled, and they're going to have to be rescheduled. And Arsenal is also right in the hunt. So that, to me, that's where the the big action is going to be at the top. And then who's going to get number four? Um, I don't know. You know, Liverpool, uh, they're they're not out of it, so you never count the Reds out. But uh, a big weekend. Um, If Tottenham had not won, I think Man City probably cruises uh, at this point, you know, now it potentially could all be up to that game in April. Um, so I, I actually watched that entire game and it really was a, an eye opener. It was a beautiful game to watch. I never, you know, I'm, I'm a kind of a recent convert to being a soccer fan and I never appreciated how beautiful, like a, a counterattack strategy could be, you know, to me that, that was just boring. That's, but that's it, Antonio it, Conte with Tottenham. Yeah, in this in this game, in, in the second half, uh, for a while there, Man City had the ball 90-something percent of the time. And yet, every time Tottenham got the ball, it was a quick pass out and a fast break. I mean, it was really amazing. And the fast breaks were spot on the passing by Kane. Kane didn't just Kane scored three goals in that game and one right. guy called back. Right. But the pat the his passing out of the bunch from the defensive end always hit the guy in stride for a fast break. I mean, it was just amazing to see. 
Let me well, say that, that but beyond the thrill of victory, something I love about the Premier League, we joke about this sometimes about what would happen if American sports are just an American life. There was a relegation system. <laughs> but I love that. I love that the Premier League and other soccer leagues have a relegation system. And for the supporters of these teams over there, there's just as much excitement to not have the agony of defeat of being in that. And if you look at the bottom of the table, you know, you've got two teams with 17 points, Norwich and Burnley, Watford one ahead uh, at 18. And those three would be relegated right now to the second division. But there's there's only a few points that separate, you know, 14 through 17 that could easily fall down into that. And, um, you know, there was a, a recent purchase of one of these clubs, Newcastle. They threw a lot of money into that team. They got active at the transfer deadline, which is basically like the free agent. They've, they've, they're undefeated in their last five, and they've gotten out of relegation. So that part of the story is fun, too. I agree with you, Pope, that between the Champions League contest and the staying out of relegation, there's going to be a lot more to watch than just the Man U versus Liverpool contest. And don't forget AFC Richmond, either. Yes, for sure. All right. Okay. So uh, let's get to the punchable face of the week. Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Evan Kujay with a triumphant comeback. But tonight, don't call it a comeback. Not to be confused with Juwan Howard's story. Rooster, Open talk, hand to us, slap. talk to us. <laughs> yeah. Punch in the face. You know, it hurts me to do this one, and I know Pope's not going to like it because it's his favorite golfer. But uh, you guys have heard about the Saudi Arabia-sponsored Super Golf League, right? And, you know, they they basically are trying to steal big-ticket players from uh, the PGA by promising these huge paydays and lighter schedules. Um They've gotten pretty much slapped down by the big stars today. But before that, um, Phil Mickelson stepped up and publicly said he was willing to entertain leaving the PGA and joining the Super League. Um, Interestingly, though, he gave this really, um, I don't know, maybe too honest interview where he said about the Saudis, they're scary motherfuckers to get involved with. We know they killed Jamal Khashoggi and have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all this, why, why would I even consider it? Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. Oof. Hello? Come on, Phil. I mean, not only do they kill people for being gay or for writing stories they don't like they fucking attacked our country they're responsible for 9-11 and we all know it and you're going to get in bed with them so what so you could sell some more coffee or whatever the hell you're trying to do at the twilight of your career i mean that's don't do this to yourself phil get yourself out of this mess you're an embarrassment right now and it's not too late to end it we're gonna we're gonna give you a left-handed punch to the dick right now on that Whoa. one. Whoa. We're gonna punch, punch your face. We're gonna punch your face. We're gonna punch your face if you don't get out of this mess but, quickly. But you know he's not the only one that flirted with this Saudi league, though. Clearly, DJ and Bryce Bryson big time. I think Bryson probably had some talks with these guys. They were talking one hundred thirty million dollars for him to come over. I mean, 
yeah, I, Phil, Phil, you know, classic Phil, he says the quiet part out loud, but, but, you know, he is not the only one that flirted with this league and, and I, Thank God it looks like it's dead. Yeah, well, raise your hand if you would care if Bryson left the PGA and moved to Saudi Arabia. Well, I think a lot I, of people I don't would. See, I don't want to see Phil do that. My God, I love the guy. He's gonna, he's destroying his reputation with that. With that well, thought. Phil Phil is pretty much shot for the PGA Tour now. He's he's all about champions. I mean, his his lack of focus uh, in the l- later tournaments. Uh, you know, he he is he's looking for uh, a microphone. Well, he just he just uh, censured himself, arguably, because I mean, you know, I mean that that's not the way to stay uh, stay front and center is uh, is picking money over the United States and freedom. I mean, right? No. right. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, that's a good punchable face. That's for damn sure. Uh, all right. Um, Back to AFC Richmond. We uh-huh. have a lasso. House, what do you got for us? So we, we, we talked about uh, coaches behaving badly at the top of the show. Alasso is going to talk about some a good coach. I'm going to ask you guys first, see if you can get this. Who is the longest tenured active coach in all major sports in America? Amongst all four sports leagues, what coach has been with his team, the longest Popovich, 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 Greg Popovich. You guys nailed it. Good. Boom. Nice. So this is a, this is a tribute, a lasso for pop because when we return from the NBA all-star break, Greg Popovich is going to become the longest, uh, the, the winningest coach in NBA history. He's now just two games behind uh, Don Nelson he has 1,333 wins. If you combine postseason wins, he's already broken the record because he has 1,500 wins. But for regular season wins, he's about to break it. And, you know, the truth is, and perhaps because he hasn't made the playoffs in the last couple of years with retooling that, you don't hear as much about Popovich as you do some of the other coaches of late. I feel like sometimes he stays under the radar unless he talks about something regarding social justice or or, or racial injustices that are going on. But this guy is one in a lifetime kind of coach. He has five championships. He took his team to 22 straight playoffs. He coached our U.S. team to a gold medal in Tokyo in 2020. And as these uh, record is about to be broken, I've read some stories about the tributes that come from the players, like how much he cares about them. He apparently is extremely demanding both in-game and in practice, but then takes the time to bring these guys to his house, have dinner to talk about real-life stuff. Recently, he he assigned a rookie from Australia, Jock Landale, to come in and do a team presentation on the bipartisan infrastructure bill. (laughs) Like, what (laughs) coach does that? You know, this is uh, just a unique, unique coach. Uh, He actually has... 390 wins more than the history of the Charlotte Hornets franchise, Um, which is pretty incredible. So I I didn't want him to set the record and it let it pass us by. He's a feel good coach, a feel good story. This, um, 
this record that he's going to set couldn't happen to a better coach, a better guy. And so for me, my vote for Lasso for this week is for Greg Popovich. And he, he's just, he's a good guy in the community. I mean, he does, he does good things. He's a, he's a plus dude. He's Ted Lasso in real life in some ways. That's right. Right. I mean, that's literally he's, he's Lasso. Good one. That's a good one. I'm glad you brought that up and, and uh, we got ahead of that one this week. So I, I'm going to go from that good guy to, to another good guy as we pour, pour one out for, uh, for Charlie Taylor. And, and I want to just keep this brief, but um, you know, it did raise a funny thing. Like, do I, am I supposed to talk about him as Redskin great Charlie Taylor or commander great Charlie Taylor? I'm really not sure. I've seen commander this written. Great. I've seen this written every which way, uh, <laughs> but he, uh, you know, Charlie Taylor passed uh, on the 19th. He was 80 years old. For those of you who may not know, he was, oh, um, he started out as a running back and then yep. was converted to wide receiver. Um, he played from 64 to 75 for Washington. And then also in 77, he was a, uh, he was the wide receivers coach on the team for all of their Super Bowls, uh, all the Super Bowl winning teams. Um and eight-time Pro Bowler, first-team All-Pro, four-time second-team All-Pro, NFL Rookie of the Year in 64. He was the NFL Receptions Leader twice. Uh, he was on the 1960s All-Decade team. He's one of the 80 greatest Redskins and, uh, and in the, uh, the Ring of Fame in Washington. Um, he was actually drafted uh, the third pick of the NFL draft in 1964, and interestingly, the ninth pick of the AFL draft that same year. So he was drafted by both leagues. Um, and you can go on and on and on about, about his statistics. But I think the thing that people will remember most about Charlie Taylor is, is on the field, he blocked as hard as he, as he ran when he had the ball, right? He blocked for guys um, as hard as anything he did. And then off the field, this was a, a consummate gentleman. Uh, I think he has one of the shortest Hall of Fame speeches where really he thanked his family, he thanked his coaches, he thanked his teammates, and he sat down uh, and really just just a classy guy. This was um, for everything that Washington is not today. Charlie Taylor was what you want out of a, out of an athlete and out of a, a, a guy in the community. Uh, and so we're going to have to, we'll pour one out for, for good old Charlie Taylor tonight. I remember Rooster, him Rooster, well. You, I was going to say, Rooster, was, you probably yeah, want to add something to that. He, I, you know, he was, he came into the league when I was two and by 75, you know, I was what, 13. Um, so I kind of grew up watching him and, uh, he was a burner. I mean, for a big dude who blocked hard. He could, you know, back then they would judge your, uh, your hundred yard dash speed. He was a burner. Uh, and his, uh, I saw, I read something today in, in, um, uh, in the newspaper, um, his college football coach, Frank Cush at Arizona state called him poetry on the field. He really was an yeah. elegant, elegant player. Yeah. He was a special guy, a special guy. So what's well, a good education for milk. Well, and, and Bison, who probably wasn't born by the time he retired, right? Uh, yeah, I wasn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but I remember him because he was a coach with the team for so long. Yeah, Everybody yeah. always, you always talked about, you know, he was that guy who uh, you, you knew about him just because, because he, was he mentored Art Monk. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. And Gary Clark and, and Ricky Sanders and all the guys who, who led him to all those Super Bowls. So yeah, he was a good one. All right, guys, anything else we got to cover? I think we got it. Go get your avocados. They're running short thanks to the drug cartels. Have a good ah, week, everyone. See ya. <laughs> of course. See y'all. SMQBs are Brian Bandwagon Pope, who hails from Dallas, Texas, and has never met a first-place team that he didn't have a personal connection to. Michael Rooster Phelan, hailing from Richmond, and who roots for teams from New York, or is it Boston? I can't remember which it was. One or the other. Also, Patrick Milk Michler from Tampa Bay, and he is still massively in love with Tom Brady and will never get over his man crush on the GOAT. Toby House Milrod, a long-suffering sports fan, hailing from Philadelphia, whose Eagles team, mm, they're still looking for another quarterback. And I am Chris Bison Nace, hailing from Washington, District of Champions. Thanks for listening.